0: Hey, uh, I just want to introduce to you Pastor Peter Haas. Uh, he pastors Substance Church uh, right here in the Twin Cities. Yes, uh, some of you have heard of it. Yes. Here's what's really exciting about it. They are several thousand uh, in weekend attendance. Uh, multi, is it three or four Four campuses? And uh, we help start their church. Uh, through the ARC, the Association of Related Churches, we give 2% of our general fund to church planting. His church was one of the recipients of that, and I think that's a great investment. We invest in churches that will multiply, reach more people, and reach more people, and now they're giving 2% of their general fund to help start more churches. So you see, it's a great plan that the church has come upon to help start new churches. But they are full of 20-somethings. They are a young church. Their seniors group starts at 40. Doesn't it like 44 it did. It did. We it had to did. change
1: that. Obviously. Is that
0: because I rebuked you? <laughs> I spoke for him, and I was like, I'm in your seniors group. That's wrong. That's wrong. But I love their church. I love his wife, Carolyn. I mean, they have a, a great church, and uh, it just have done a wonderful job. So I asked him to come on down uh, to the south side of the Twin Cities, south and west, and then Faribault, speaking to all of our campuses. And uh, I said, I-, I want you to speak this weekend for two reasons. Number one, I'm returning from Australia, and I'm going to be a little jet lagged, and you never know what I'm going to say when I'm tired. So if you could cover for me this weekend, but I'll I'll introduce you. And then the number two thing is, he had just written a book, and it just came out. It's hot off the presses. It's called Pharisectomy, and it says, getting rid of that inner Pharisee and other religiously transmitted diseases. And, And I loved it. I loved it. I actually was able to read it. I wrote a little uh, endorsement in it, and I I said, that is so good. I want you to come and just give us a taste of something that would be in the book. Give us a message that God's laid on your heart, and it's available for us to buy. You can buy it. And again, I mean, this is hot off the presses. His own church hasn't even had the opportunity to buy the book, and and that's true. true. And so you can get it, and it's $13. It's at all of our campuses. Um, But I just felt like you needed to be exposed to this. I laughed a ton in there when I read it. There were those convicting God moments. And uh, so we wanted you to hear his heart. We love your church. We love you guys. We support you. We celebrate you. You're you're, uh, like a daughter church to us. And uh, we cheer your success. And we want nothing but the best for you and uh, keep growing. And anything we have here is yours, you know, Well, most of everything. Most of everything. But we love you. Seriously, we invest in you. And uh, I want you to open up your hearts to hear what Pastor Peter Haas has to say. Can you welcome him? Come on.
1: Wow. Way too kind. I'll tell you, you guys excited to be in church this weekend? Seriously cuz we're going to have some fun. We're going to have some fun. And let me just let me okay, let me just brag on your pastor. You I hope you realize you do have one of the coolest pastors in the nation. You know that in the world, right? You know that. Let me tell you something. When we moved up to the Twin Cities, uh, back in 2004, uh, your pastors, Robin Becker, were like the first of all of the pastors really to embrace us, open us up, open up their arms and just say, hey, we're so blessed that you guys are here. Let us help you. Uh, literally, uh, like they, they started doing all sorts of things to help us, not just financially, but uh, just moral support. I just, uh, I'll tell you, I, I've never met pastors that were so non-territorial and so generous. And even, you need to know this, even to this day, every single, every single time uh, my wife and I get together with your pastors, I feel like they give us, like, spiritual CPR. They encourage us, Peter, you can do this, really? We can do this? And they're like, like seriously, every single time, my wife and I are like, man, you're the most refreshing people in the world. So hats off uh, to your pastors. You guys are so blessed. And, and seriously, I'll, I'll tell you, just again, before we dive into God's Word, I wanted to give you a little background, um, I, I've been married for almost 17 years, my wife and I have three feisty kids, I love feisty kids, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you, we, you know, again, we pastor kind of a crazy church, but um, part of it is because I didn't grow up in church, many of you guys uh, may have heard this before, but I, I, believe it or not, I gave my life to Christ in a nightclub, yeah yeah it, it like some people you know they, they received Christ in church, not me right no I was in a nightclub and it's kind of crazy I, I get sick of my I get sick of my story but uh, the Lord rebuked me a while back and said, Peter, uh, it's not your story, it's my story and you're going to share it okay God here it is so um, so really okay I did not grow up in church I know a lot of people grew up in church I would never seen okay I'd never been in a church where they had played drums and I'd certainly never seen anybody raise their hands before actually I did get I get I did get dragged into a church where people uh, raised their hands and I'm like what are they doing it looked like everybody was s- slow dancing with an eight-foot Jesus it was just like you know what I'm saying I'd never seen that before I'm like what is going on right and, um, and and so I was to be honest, I was a little bit scared of of those kind of Christians, right? And I just I I, I kind of didn't want. I, I was really scared of those kinds of Christians. And yet, I'll tell you what, life has a, a way of leading us to God, doesn't it? I mean, you experience tragedy; it causes you, it forces you to start asking deeper questions. And I I not really asked those deeper questions. Why do we exist? Who are we? What what is there a God? And and uh, I'll tell you again, nothing like tragedy to, to start jump-starting those types of questions in your life. And, and um, at the time, I was a rave DJ. I would go to different nightclubs with my turntables, and I had my creative records, and, and I'd do that whole thing, you know, hanging out with all sorts of very wholesome people. And uh, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and I was very close to Christianity, very antagonistic. In fact, I actually boasted at a party that I could talk anyone into depression. Cause, like, I literally said that. I literally boasted that I could do that. And in the Lord, I think in His irony, was like, "Ah, I'm going to use that guy. Okay, we're going to we're going to see what I watch this trick." Right? Um, actually, and, and, and his, again, I was clo- very close to the gospel. In fact, the, I was dating this girl at that time, uh, who's now my wife. And uh, something really tragic actually happened in her life. Um, she had actually discovered her father's body. Uh, right after he had pulled the trigger and committed suicide. And um, complete shock. And uh, and, and she had actually grown up in a Christian home and, and um, really rattled, obviously rattled me, just watching her go through that, going to the funeral. And that same week, as though it couldn't get any worse, one of my good friends died in a car accident. And when you realize just how fragile life is and how short it is, I, I just... I really started asking deeper questions. It was like I I couldn't fake it anymore. I I needed to know, like, what is the meaning of life? And uh, And yet I wasn't really open to God it was kind of one of those weird things where I'll, like, I'll try anything, just not that whole religion thing. And, and, and yet, I had a Christian friend who had actually challenged me, um, Peter, you need to ask God to reveal himself to you. And he will. Jesus will reveal himself to you. And I'm like, nah, okay. Been there, done that, Christianity. I'm not really interested. I thought I had been there, done that. In reality, I'd, not, I'd never, I'd only experienced a bunch of dead rituals. You know what I mean, right? And, um, and so, and yet, I'll tell you what, that night I, I happened to be working in a nightclub, and I'm on the second story of this nightclub looking down on the dance floor. And when I saw everybody just drunk and stoned out of their minds, I remember thinking to myself, I hate this. What are we doing? Like, this is supposed to be living? This is supposed to be fun? This is supposed to be celebration? What are we doing? I hate this. And, and just in that overwhelmed moment, I finally, I just stopped and I thought, you know what? Peter, do what your friend said ask God. To reveal himself. And so I thought, okay, here it goes. What do you do? How do you address God? He, she, it. You know what I'm saying? And so I literally uh, stood back from my turntables and I prayed this in the, in the DJ booth. I'm like, God, uh, whoever you are, uh, whatever you are, um, if you were powerful enough to create the universe, then you should be powerful enough to show me what religion is the right religion. I mean, give me a miracle or a sign. Like, you know, lightning bolts across the sky. Islam, Buddhism, none of the above. You know what I'm saying? I mean, why not? Why Why not? And, and so, like, I I, kind of snapped uh, I, I, out of this super deep, super sincere prayer. And, and I thought, what in the world am I doing? I, I must really be depressed. I'm praying, right? And I thought, I need a cigarette. So I... <laughs> And so I put on a dance mix, right? And I started my way out of the DJ booth, walked down the stairs, and I'd only made it about thirty steps from the DJ booth when a total stranger came up to me, grabbed me by the arm. I'd never really talked to this guy before. Grabbed me by the arm, and he said, "I know that basically, I know this is really weird, but I feel like I'm supposed to tell you that Jesus has a plan for your life, and He wants you to follow Him." I did not have that response. Okay, I I freaked out. I, I literally got scared. I, I started sweating through every pore of my body, and I I, just, I I literally grabbed the guy and I go, "What did you just say?" Because I'm scared. And, and this time he he goes uh kind of repeated it again awkwardly and and it was like I was cornered God God answered my prayer showed up in my nightclub and freaked me out I thought I have to follow this God or I'm gonna die literally the, the words leapt out of my mouth I go tell me what I'm supposed to do and this guy was a little bit shocked like it shouldn't be this easy you know what I'm saying and I'm like, T- tell me what I'm supposed to do, and my mind, I will jump off any cliff you tell me to, and like, cause you're I mean, blah, you, he didn't even know, he didn't even know he was the I, I just prayed and I'm freaking out, I didn't even know how to tell him I just prayed and you just showed up and what are you doing here, um, and 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 so he he fumbled for a second, he's like, uh, what did he, what to do, um, uh, I I guess we could pray. And I'm like, all right, cool, you know, like. Uh, so he grabbed me by the hands, pulled me down into the de- into the into the little booth there where people, you know, booths people sit, and uh, and and I just right there, he goes, repeat this after me, and I just repeated after him this old school repentance sinner's prayer, and that was it, man. Peter Haas went for Jesus, freaked out all my friends and family, and boom, here I am, a preacher, right? Okay, <laughs> yeah. God has a sense of humor. I'll tell you, but but okay, listen to me. I don't know what your background is today, but listen. God can reveal Himself to anyone. He can reveal Himself to your coworker, to your spouse, to your scary parents. He can reveal Himself. To anybody, listen to me, I, I think that there's this, uh, a lot of times we like to imagine that there are certain people that are beyond the saving grace of God. They're just, they, they cannot get it. But listen to me, that's a lie. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And I believe God wants to challenge you today to to continue to pray for those people that you want to know Jesus more. Because it, it, it's, it's true, there's nobody that is beyond his saving grace. In fact, I actually, um. so that story I, I actually unpacked that story in a little bit more humorously um, in my book, Pharisectomy. You know, again, how to remove your inner Pharisee and other religiously transmitted diseases. But part of the reason why I did that is because I, I feel like there's so many people who are cynical about the body of Christ and do not really comprehend just how amazing, how exciting, how, how grace-filled this God is. And so I, I wanted to uh, really put it into writing a little bit more. And I, I just, uh, I, so again, uh, it is for sale here, but do not tell my church because they have I've not released it at my church, okay? And they're going to freak out if they hear that River Valley Church got it before they did. Okay, so just you can tweet it like next week. Okay, once I get it there. Okay, but uh, but seriously, I I, uh, I one of the I actually wrote about a third of it as a stand-up comedy book because I wanted people to really laugh their way back in love with the church and and really as and there's a lot of deep points where I wanted to really reinvent people's idea of church and that's part of what I want to do this weekend is I want to reinvent the way. UC church. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to James chapter five, verse sixteen? James five, sixteen classic Bible verse. If you have not memorized this verse, you need to, okay? This is classic. And, and again, for those of you who have heard this before, I want you to listen with fresh ears as though this is the first time you've ever heard this verse in your life, okay? I, I want you to imagine, like, this is the most profound verse in the entire Bible, and you, it's gonna change your life right now, this weekend, okay? So James 5.16 says this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other And pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Confess your sins to each other so that, everybody say so that, you may be healed. Now, it's so Critical, you get this. If you want to experience biblical healing in your life, you have to follow the Bible's command. The Bible's prescription for healing is this. Confess your sins to each other. It doesn't say to God. In fact, actually, almost every scripture in the New Testament regarding confession is actually all about living in the light to one another, not to God. In some, like I think a lot of people think of confession as what you do during the slow song in worship. You know what I'm saying? You kind of cry out that little tear there and you're like, oh, I'm so sorry about last night, God. Some of you, you know, or last year, whatever it is, right? You, you, you say that, but listen, that's not what the Bible is talking about with confession. This is you get another believer and you get vulnerable with them, and, when, and not just any believer, but a mature believer, a righteous person. Okay, there's certain people that are not worthy of your confession. You can't confess your sin to a big mouth or a person who's legalistic. Those, you know, scary people. You know, scary Christians. There's there's certain people you, you that God has literally anointed for you to do that in every per, in every Christian's life, righteous person. But when you do that, the Bible says it results in healing. And I wonder how many of us have not received healing from certain temptations, from certain struggles, because we have not followed the Bible's prescription for healing. You see, I learned that the hard way. I, I thought, I, I, there are certain areas of my life that, you know, it's easy to tell other people about, yeah, I, I struggle with Bible reading, how do you do it more, and, and things like that. But then there's other areas of my life where I'm like, I don't know if I, if, you know, can I share that with somebody else? That's like, that's too vulnerable. That's too scary. You know what I'm talking about. Come on, somebody. And Come on. You, you, you got those, there, there's certain areas where it's embarrassing to share. You mean that, God? You want me to share that with somebody else? I'll tell you, I, I just, as an immature believer, I, I kept hoping God would just simply take my issues away from me, right? Maybe, maybe, you know, like maybe some powerful altar experience. And don't get me wrong, God did take things away from me in, in alter experiences. But they're, you know, not that issue, not the one that I was embarrassed to talk about, right? And, and so year after year, I'm like, God, just take this away from me. Maybe, maybe I need to cry a little bit more in praise choruses. You know what I'm saying? Maybe, you know, God's up in heaven like, ah, uh, only 3.2 tears. That's not enough to heal him. You know what I'm saying? I need 12. I need 12 tears. I need, I need, I need more weeping and wailing. Or, or I thought maybe, you know what, maybe uh, I need just to hear more sermons. Maybe if I ingest just large quantities of podcasts, just constant sermons all the time, then all of a sudden, boom, I'm healed. And don't get me wrong, that, that, that actually did heal me in many areas of my life, but not this area. And so year after year after year, I'm like, God, I want you just to take these desires away from me, and yet God wasn't doing it. And and, and really, it's because God was waiting for me to obey the scripture he had already spoken into my heart, James 5.16. You get another believer, a righteous person, you pour out your soul, and then I'm going to heal you. But I didn't want to go there. I was too scared, right? You see, I wanted to believe that maybe knowledge was my problem, right? Maybe I just need, again, I needed more sermons. But I, I think for a lot of us, knowledge is really not our biggest issue, is it? For example, okay, every last one of us knows what healthy food is, right? Does that mean you just eat healthy food all the time? Right? Pizza, bad, lettuce, good. Right? Does that mean you eat lettuce all the time? We all know we need to work out regularly. Does that mean just because you know what you know what you need to do doesn't mean you do it? There's all sorts of unapplied knowledge. Sometimes I think that we're in in the body of Christ. I think sometimes a lot of us we're knowledge connoisseurs. We don't actually want to change. We just want to feel like we're changing. We we want to have, we want to ingest God's word in such a way that makes us say, aha. But that doesn't mean we applied it. All of a sudden, the hustle and bustle of Monday morning comes in. And did we apply anything? A lot, for a lot of us, well, you've already heard more sermons than you could apply in your lifetime. Think about this. James actually said to hear the word and not apply it results in deception, which means, first, this is going to sound radical, but sometimes hearing God's word could be one of the most destructive things you do if you're not planning on applying it. Why? Because you're actually deceiving yourself you have the false appearance of transformational christianity and yet you don't have it and i think i started realizing that in my life i had attended church services for a long time pretending to change but i was lacking the power because I wasn't willing to humiliate myself. You see, again, sometimes knowledge isn't our problem. It's accountability. It's, it's, it's authenticity. It's prayer. Friends who can look you in the eye and say, how are you really doing? And can I help you get to where Jesus is? And so finally, when I was sick and tired of pretending to change, this is what I did. I, I did the scariest thing I, I think I've ever done in my life. And keep in mind, at this point, I was in—I was in leadership in my church, which made it even scarier. Because I think, uh, you know, as a leader, you want to try to make it look like you got everything together. And yet, I thought, you know what? I would rather die than than continue to bottle up and pretend to to live like this, to pr- pretend to be changed. And so, I got my spiritual friends together, and I poured out my soul. I'm like, this is where I'm at. This is what I struggle with. I, and I and I made a commitment. I'm going to share every embarrassing detail. This is this is every embarrassing detail of my life. I'm going to live in the light. And let me tell you, when you expose things to the light, darkness can't, you know, sin can't live there. It just can't live in the light. And, and I'll tell you, I, I thought I thought for sure all my friends, they're going to think, you're an idiot. You're crazy. You're crazy. And, and it, don't get me wrong. It wasn't like, it wouldn't have disqualified me from leadership, but it was still so humiliating. And I'll tell you what, in that moment, that was one of the most powerful moments of my life when a Christian brother literally embraced me and we wept together, we prayed together. And I experienced more healing in my life from that moment on, more traction in my spiritual walk from that moment on than I'd ever experienced in all of my years prior to that moment. Why? Because I did what the Bible commanded me to do. I God, honest and vulnerable with other believers. And think about it. We all know these scriptures, right? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, we all know that. If you want grace, you've got to have humility in your life. But the problem is, especially with uh, humility, God uses the key ingredient to humility is humiliation, isn't it? We want humility, but we don't want humiliation to be a part of the process that forges that. And that's why I I always teach this to my staff and my church. Humiliation principle is this. And you note takers write this down. Humiliation principle. The degree to which you're willing to humiliate yourself is the degree to which God's grace is dispensed. The degree to which you're willing to humiliate yourself with authentic fellowship is the degree to which God's grace will be dispensed in your life. I'm just really restating God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying go out there and act like a fool if you just humiliate yourself by just dancing like a monkey without your shirt on outside. You know, chances are, you know, they'll have some, you know, River Valley security come take you away. Okay, so I'm not just saying look like an idiot, right? I'm saying when it comes to fellowship, when it comes to being authentic with other believers, You need God's grace. You want God's grace on your side. You need the healing and power of God in your life. And he will respond. He will respond. It's called living in the light. Just And let me take this one step deeper. Uh, many of you guys have read that classic story, Luke chapter 5, okay? And it, 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 it's where Jesus is actually teaching at the Apostle Peter's house in Capernaum, right? You remember that story, anybody? Okay, in fact, the coolest thing, um, your pastor, Pastor Rob, and I got to actually be in Israel last year in Capernaum at the Apostle Peter's house. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is so cool. That The that, that story just... Really uh, came to life, and again, here it is. Jesus is teaching at Peter's house. So many people packed into this house. Uh, there was no people could not get in. People could not go out of this house. I mean, that many people were there, and and, and so Jesus is teaching. Get this. All of a sudden. Um, the, the, these men started digging through the roof of Peter's house. I mean clay and tile is, is crumbling in on people. could you imagine that being in that like right now imagine if right now as I'm teaching wherever you're at whatever campus all of a sudden the roof starts caving in and people literally what what happened was is they they, they cr- broke open a roof big enough to lower a paralytic man down through. Now how many know that is not just a hole that's a huge hole, right? Man, I, if I was the apostle Peter, I would have been freaking out like, Jesus, stop the press. There's, there's, whoa, whoa, this is my roof, right? And so they literally lower the paralytic friend down in front of Jesus. And instead of rebuking them for, for destroying another man's house, he heals the man. He's like, look at their faith. And, he, and then he tells the man, "Pick, stand up, take your mat, and walk, And the guy got dramatically healed in front of everybody. And, of course, the the crowds were in awe. Well, I'll tell you what. When I first read that story, I I don't believe the the point of that story is about the paralytic. I believe the point of that story is about the friends of the paralytic. Because how many of you know that, that paralytic man could not have concocted that plan all by himself? Right? Right? I mean, and how many of you know it takes guts to rip through another man's roof? Where I come from, that's called vandalism. It's illegal. If somebody did that to my house, man, I would be freaking out. Now, how many of you would do something illegal to get your friend to Jesus? Throw up your hands. Some of you raise your hand way too quick. Okay, no, I'm kidding. How many of you do something illegal just for fun? Okay, don't do that. I don't want to see it. Just Okay, we'll pray for you later. But, you know... But but seriously, okay, here's the point, okay? Don't miss this. These guys loved their friends so much that they would do anything to see their friend healed and whole. They would, they would even do illegal things to get their friend to experience the power of Christ. And I remember when I first read that, I felt like the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart com- with complete clarity. Peter, you want to be a pastor? Well, guess what? That is what true church is all about. You want to know the purest definition of church? It's that story. Do you have friends who would rip through a roof for you? That's church. And ever since I read that story, and the Lord just posed that question, do you have friends who would rip through a roof for you? It's really revolutionized the way I see church. When I come to church, I don't just think about worship experiences anymore. I don't think about crying tears to praise choruses as much. I, you know, and don't get me wrong, that's awesome. I love it. And I don't even think about preachers and, and sermons as much. as I think about this question, do I have friends who would rip through a roof for me who would go crazy out of their way to see me healed and whole And, and guess what The the statistics actually confirm this this whole concept of church. In fact, I've been doing a lot of research over the last seven years as to what are the statistical predictors of spiritual growth. Now, as a pastor, that's important for me to know that, right? Because I mean, of all the things that I can be encouraging my my congregation members to be doing, of, of all the things that I can be doing, what has which of those behaviors has the greatest statistical predictor? Is is one of the greatest predictors that they're actually growing deeper in their walk with God. I mean, how can we quantitatively measure life change so at the end of this year, we didn't all just pretend to change again. You know what I'm saying? And of course, you can imagine there's a lot of things that ranked high on that list. Obviously, reading God's Word, praying, uh, you know, worship experiences did rank up there as predictors of transformation. But listen, there was one criteria that thundered um, uh, above all the others that really caught me off guard. And guess what? This is You want to know what it is? One the number one statistical predictor of spiritual growth is how many intimate Christian friends you have in your life on any given basis. In other words, I can go across this congregation if I knew exactly how many intimate Christian friends you spend time with now in your life. Not five years ago, not ten years ago in the glory days when back, oh, we had that one church Bible study. And, okay, now. I'm talking about now. How many intimate Christian friends do you have in your life right now? That is the greatest predictor of whether or not you're growing deeper in your relationship with the Lord. More than church services attended, more than Bible verses memorized, and that, that, counts, that, that, that shocks people. In fact, the study actually, uh, to this degree, let's, get this, you can take two people, preach the same quantity of God's word at them, And the person who's got the most intimate Christian friends in their life is the one who's most statistically likely to apply that word. In other words, I can teach on fasting to two people, and the person who's most likely to actually fast is the person who's got intimate Christian friends who say, let's fast together. I mean, it's not rocket science. I think we all know this, right? I mean, really, uh, what I'm saying here is just an illustration of the parable of the seed and the sower when Jesus said the, the word of God is the seed. You can sow it in large quantities on soil, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to produce a harvest because it's the soil content. Some people do not have the right context of their lives to really produce a harvest, and I really believe that that, that, that fellowship, biblical community, is the transformational agent that results in that kind of change. It's, it's the parable of the seed and the sower. And so, again, it's just like James said, Righteous people coming together to be authentic and pray with one another, that's powerful. It's effective. It avails much. And guess what? Okay, intimate support of friends not only. Helps us spiritually, but it, it makes sense that it helps us physically as well. Okay, get this. Uh, my dad uh, was a doctor; he retired now, and and um, just I, I I always grew up around medical journals, and so I'm not afraid to nerd out re- uh, just reading that kind of stuff. And and part of it is you have to understand. I grew up as a skeptic, where if somebody would have quoted God's word at me, I would have been like, no thanks. But if somebody would have given me a scientific study, I would have paid more attention. You know what I'm saying? And and again, so I, I'm always I'm always a big fan of lo- going into the research and then confirming God's word with it. I, I love that. And so I, I just happened to find some really bizarre studies that really confirm what I, I've been sharing that really just reaffirm James 5.16. Get this, okay? Did you know socially isolated people are four times more susceptible to catching a common cold? four times more susceptible. And I thought it was my my slimy, germy friends that were actually getting me sick. You know what I'm saying? Ironically, if you have a large quantity of intimate friends, it boosts your immune system. There's all sorts of research that actually shows living in community with other people boosts your immune system. Um, and I, check this out, okay? A lack of social relationships jeopardizes coronary health, heart health, to a degree that rivals cigarette smoking high blood pressure blood lipids obesity and lack of physical activity in other words your your friends actually affects your life expectancy more than life of chain smoking did you know that statistically speaking uh, so maybe you're here and you're like so pastor peter can i be an obese chain smoker as long as i got lots of friends I, would, I wouldn't try that one out, but uh, okay. Okay, get this one, okay? And I, I can actually quote, I can quote numerous studies for everything that I'm saying here, okay? Did you know that your odds of surviving cancer, heart disease, and stroke doubles based on how many intimate, supportive friends you have in your life? Doubles. Cancer, heart disease, and stroke. Your odds of surviving those Doubles based on how many intimate, supportive friends. Come on. In fact, it doesn't even stop there. There's a connection between memory loss and friends. There's a connection between, I mean, all joy, happiness. I mean, you can go through all sorts of criteria. In fact, um, I even found this, that, that... There was this weird study by epidemiologists, people who study epidemics, and they actually found that Christians, for some weird reason, who attend church on a a regular basis, live significantly longer than everybody else in our culture. It was a secular study. They actually found why do church-going Christians, they actually found that that church-going Christians who attend more than once a week live, like, significantly longer than non-Christians do, okay? Major secular university study found that. And, again, to us, it shouldn't be a shocker. When authentic people get together, James 5.16, and it, there's healing, the power of God rests In an environment like that, and and think about it, if somebody invented a pill that would double your odds of surviving cancer, stroke, or heart disease, I think there'd be a lot of people that would call that the medical breakthrough of the decade, wouldn't you think, right? Right? But to say that it's intimate, supportive friends, that just doesn't sound as fascinating, does it? Because unlike a pill... That actually requires us to change. You can't just pop a pill, and, you know. Or you, when it comes to friends, that actually requires us to slow down our lives. That actually requires us to get vulnerable. That actually requires us to actually go to, to life groups. That actually requires us to go to marriage night and, and be authentic with other people. But sometimes we, we don't want to give that much time. We'll give maybe one life group a, t- a chance, right? And, of course, you know, I always tell people sometimes it takes nine life groups before you find your tribe. You know what I'm saying? The first one you showed up, yeah, are a little bit freaky weird people there. You know what? That, that happens, okay? But if, you got to find your tribe. you got to slow down your life. You see, relationships exist in the margin, and we don't live in a culture that values margin, do we? You see, again, I just, we've got to slow down our lives. And so let me end with this. There was a classic story of a woman by the name of Vita McKenzie who, um, she, uh, she was a Jamaican woman who had a total paralytic stroke, had several kids. And, of course, um, uh, just they took her to the doctor, rushed her to the doctor. And, of course, the doctors are like, oh, she, her brain is gone. I mean, she, her eyes were rolled back. Her tongue was hanging out. She's losing uh, bodily functions. Uh, she, Her organs are starting to shut down. The doctors just said, there's nothing we can do to her, for her. You just need to take her home so she can die at home. And, and of course, they took her home. And they're like, this can't be the end. I mean, she's too young. She's got young kids, kids that are like, Mommy, wake up. I mean, they're, they're like, this this can't be it. And so all of a sudden, the, the friends of, of Vita McKenzie were standing around her bed thinking, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And one of them said, you know what? God can change this. We need to take her to church. And they're like, how in the world are we going to get her to church? And one of them was like, you know what? I have a wheelbarrow. Let's throw some blankets in this wheelbarrow. And if we got a wheelbarrow her to church, we're going to do it because Vita needs Jesus. And so get this. That's exactly what they did. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if somebody bust through the doors of of these auditoriums today with with somebody in a wheelbarrow? And sure enough, they brought her in, tongue hanging out, eyes rolled back. I mean, just... I mean, just, what a sight. And the moment they brought her into that church, people because people had been buzzing about Vita, Vita, Vita. What happened to Vita? And they all of a sudden saw her, and people started weeping. And so the pastor thought, you know what? I, I have to stop the service. We need to pray for her. And, and so he goes, he goes, come on, everybody. Let's pray. Let's intercede. God can work on Vita's behalf. And, let's. and so he, he said in kind of just the way that only an old-school Pentecostal preacher could. He shouted. He shouted. Because we all know that when you shout at the devil, the Lord heals more. People, right? No, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of, but he shouted, he goes, he said, Vita, in Jesus' name, rise up and walk. Nothing happened. Kind of awkward, you know? You know, you invited your friend to church that day, and you're kind of like, you know, I, this, we don't normally do this. You know what I'm saying? This is kind of going on. And, and then the other, then that hyper-spiritual woman is like, he needed to shout louder. You know what I'm saying? No, I don't know. People are just wondering what's going on. And so he's like, come on, everybody. Like, if this was your mom, how would you pray? If this was your sister, how would you pray? If this was your spouse, how would you pray? Come on. And people just started interceding. They started praying in the Spirit. And he said, Vita, in Jesus' name, rise up and walk. All of a sudden, Vita's eyes rolled forward. Her tongue pulled back in. She looked up kind of a little bit dazed and confused, but she was completely healed. And let me tell you, that Jamaican church partied in a way that you could only imagine they would party in Jamaica, right? I'm telling you, completely healed. And when I heard that story, I, I, this is what just came out of my mouth. It was like, ah, oh, to have friends, to have friends like Vita McKenzie, Listen to me, church. God's plan for you is not to merely attend a church service. God's plan for us is not just to turn us into a bunch of Bible experts who have superficial relationships with one another. God is calling us to be a part of a community of people who will see each other through to wholeness. And listen, that is what River Valley strives to be. It's a family. We don't do life churches, life groups here for nothing. It's, it's to help you get vulnerable, to help you get, find your tribe, to be authentic. And so here's a question I want to leave you with, and it's this. Do you have friends who would rip through a roof for you? Do you have friends who would carry your lifeless, comatose body in a wheelbarrow in order to get you to Jesus? Because if you cannot give me an affirmative yes, then for all practical purposes, you, my friend, are an unchurched Christian you're unchurched. I mean, we can talk about reaching the unchurched and then miss the whole point about what does it mean to be churched. I mean, do we ourselves even know the answer to that? It's the, we, we, we sing songs about the blood of Christ. You know, th- that it's the blood of Christ that heals, right? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? You've heard that song? Well, where does the blood of Christ flow? Through the body of Christ. And who is the body of Christ? We are. I just, again, if we don't have enough intimacy or vulnerability to confess our sins on a regular basis, then we're we're probably missing the very foundations of biblical healing. And so, just right now, at all of our campuses, I just would would you close your eyes just just close your eyes wherever you're at. I just really believe that there's some of you here today where you've got areas of your life that you haven't been dealing with. And God is calling you, and you know what those areas are. I believe the Holy Spirit's just illuminating certain places, certain dark spots of our heart that he wants us to expose to the light. God isn't doing that to shame in you. He's not doing it to condemn you. He's pointing that out to set you free. He's, he's literally saying this to you right now. I want to set you free there. I want you to experience healing there. And there are others of you here today where you're like, you've got confession going on. You've got an amazing circle of Christian friends, but... Right now, God is putting isolated people on your heart to reach out to. There's people in this church who do not have friends like that, and they need you. Who is that person? Just ask the Holy Spirit. Who could I reach out to? Or maybe you're just like me in that nightclub. You're just totally confused, desperate for help. Listen to me, this God can do anything. And right now, if you just reach out for him, I believe that you're gonna experience the miraculous favor that you need in your life right now. Jesus, you see our lives. You see our circumstances. You see our burdens. You are a God who daily bears our burdens. I just pray right now that wherever all of our, these people are at today, that you would show up and speak to them, that you draw close unto us as we draw closer and unto you. God, I know your power wants to be made manifest in the area where we need you most, and, and so we just expose those areas to you, And we just say, live in us, live through us. We don't want to have a form of Christianity yet deny your power. So Jesus, come into our lives right here and now. Right here and now. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree with that prayer, say amen. Amen. Love you guys.